Well, I'm happy to be here with you guys. And wasn't last week awesome celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Remembering what he did for us. And the great thing is, you know, in some ways, I like celebrating Easter and Christmas and all that. But uh, for a number of years, I was a little resistant to it. And the reason is, is, man, every week we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here to make much of that. Every week is Easter. Uh, but obviously, it's see value in celebrating with millions of brothers and sisters around the world all at the same time in a special way that's set aside. Uh, but I want to start now looking at uh, answering the question, now what? We know that we've been resurrected now uh, because of Christ's sacrifice for us. We've been resurrected now if we know and love Jesus spiritually. Our souls have been resurrected. We have new life with him. We have new hope. We're citizens in his kingdom now. Uh, and we know that one day we'll be physically resurrected as he was resurrected uh, when we see him face to face. Our bodies will be made new. But the question, now what? What do we do? How is this resurrected life supposed to transform us day in and day out, week in and week out? Um, Tonight and for the next four weeks, we'll be going through uh, the book of Colossians, and I think it's a great book, maybe the best book, to look at the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ as it relates to our lives, that he is supreme, that he is the king of our lives, he's our father, and that he's sufficient, that his sacrifice is enough to lead us into this new transformed life. So let's go ahead and read together Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. You can grab your uh, phone or a Bible here. You can look in the table of contents if you're having a hard time finding Colossians. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that's come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood, understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Why don't we take a moment right now and in your own heart and mind, ask the Lord to change you through his word.
Lord, we open ourselves up to whatever you have for us. Please protect us from any distraction, from any insecure or fearful or any other thought that sets itself up against you. Right now, we take those thoughts captive in your name and pray that we would make much of you and that we would delight in your word. It's such a precious gift. Please give us the grace or help us to take hold of the grace that's already ours in Christ to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We need to remember before we go any further in this letter that it was written at a specific time to a specific group of people for a purpose. We have to remember context or we might end up misapplying it, misunderstanding it. Um, It was written by Paul, again, to the church at Colossae. And Colossae was part of the Decapolis. It was a group of 10 Greek cities that were under Roman rule. They were very influential. They were very wealthy. uh, And they were also very sinful. Morally, they were bankrupt. All kinds of crazy sexual immorality that makes even the worst city in our country, you know, uh, look amazing. Uh, In addition to that, they were materialistic, they were very vain, and the list goes on and on. But it was written to address a heresy that infected this young and growing church. And you see, there was a teaching, this, this heresy, a false gospel. And what it was, was that they were teaching that in order to be saved, in order to be a solid Christian, you had to have this top shelf insider information, so to speak, this special revelation in order to be legit. So only the few who had this secret knowledge or revelation could follow Christ. You see, in verses 1 and 2, we see that this was written to Christians, but we also know as we read through the letter that they were very confused. And even though they were confused, Paul is giving them the reason for why they can live the transformed life, the resurrected life, and he does so in verse 13. And it says in Colossians 1.13, For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We can live the resurrected life because Jesus died and rose again. It's not by our power, it's not by our strength, but he has rescued us. And that is, there, there is no secret knowledge. That is the reason why we can do that. And in verse 9, we read about Paul's powerful prayer that he prayed along with Timothy for the church. And this is how it goes in Colossians 1, verse 9. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. What a challenge. They haven't stopped. They're burdened for this church, Paul and Timothy. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So Paul and Timothy are praying for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will in the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit would provide. Notice, he's not praying that they would pull up their bootstraps. He's not praying that they would work harder, that they would discover better self-help strategies. This knowledge of God's will, you know how it's given to us? It's given to us through this, through his will. There's no secret knowledge. I hear all the time, man, if I could just find out what God wants for me or what he wants me to do, it's right here. It's right here. There's no secret knowledge. We have it right here. So if you know Christ, you don't have to try to figure out what to do. And I think that's one of the main applications that we're going to take from this letter. There's no secret knowledge. There's nothing you need to figure out. It's all right there 
in black and white. This passage goes on to understand, uh, goes on to explain what a knowledge of God's will and what an understanding of it, an application of it will produce in our life. In verse 10, the prayer goes on. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. It says that the Spirit gives us knowledge of God's will, meaning we understand what the Bible says. We intellectually can interpret it correctly because of the Holy Spirit's work in us. So you don't have to worry about how smart you think you are or not. Okay, it's not about how intellectual you are. That, that has nothing to do with it. The Spirit helps you to understand God's will communicated in his word. And in conjunction with this knowledge, he also gives us Understanding And understanding means uh, how to correctly and effectively apply God's word. So the Spirit not only gives us the ability to understand it, the, the mental awareness of what, what God's word says, but he also gives us the ability to apply it correctly. It also says here that uh, when these two things happen, this mental awareness of what God's word says and right application, it says that when those things happen, we're able, we're able to live a life worthy of our calling. So many believers live in a state where they think, man, if I could just understand what God wants me to do, and they feel like they're inferior to other Christians who are doing, quote, great things for God. You know who the Bible was written to? Poor dirt farmers who were going to do the same thing their grandfather's grandfather's grandfather did. God's will was right in front of them every day with their family, with their friends, working hard for God, and so on. Being great for God's kingdom is not doing something that's going to be written about in Christianity Today or some Christian blog. Being great in God's kingdom is doing the small things day in and day out that are clearly written in his word. Too many believers today want to be superstar Christians. And we see these mega church pastors and mega leaders. And many of them are great and are awesome. And I read their books and I, uh, I get on their websites and all that. But we think that if that's not us, somehow we've fallen short. And that is a lie. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It not only says that we're able to live a life worthy of our calling when these two things happen, but it also says in verse 10 that we're able to please God. So many of us live in a state where we think we're not pleasing God. Because we're obsessed with, man, I just don't think I'm doing it right. I don't think I'm doing enough. I don't think I've found this big thing. I haven't yet found my, sta this, my stage, my spotlight. Tell you what, for many of you, your spotlight is going to be changing diapers and working at a cubicle, loving your roommates and cleaning up their crap to show them the love of Christ. And that's going to be where you're grown and developed to love Christ and see him more clearly. Remember, this letter is written to dispel the myth that we have to have some type of mysterious revelation that only a few get in order to follow and love Jesus. We already have that in the scripture. It goes on in this section to say that a knowledge and understanding of God's will grants us endurance. We're not wishy-washy. This is the way we get through trials. Many of us would say right now that our prayer life is boring or that when we go through trials, it seems like 
there are so many other resources that fulfill us and fill us more than God. You know why? It's because we don't pray God's word. When you read through scripture and you actually pray it, your prayer life will never be boring. When you're going through trials and uh, you're reading passages that comfort you and you pray those, all of a sudden, just as scripture says, your strength is renewed and you can't even explain why. This is our guide and this is our revelation. And if you know and love Jesus, you can understand it and you can apply it because of the spirit in us. All the while it says we give thanks to God through it. The Bible is by far our greatest tool and our greatest resource, yet for so many, especially in today's church climate, people are looking for some type of new expression of God's love. They want some type of new and mysterious practice, you know, some kind of special class to go to where they can learn how to be a prophet or where they can learn this or that, something that's not in Scripture, and they're looking for something sexy, and that's not from God. There might be aspects of it that you see in these resources that are, but there's too much extra biblical resources out there today that I think just confuse Christians and make some feel like they're inferior. If the teaching is not directly inspired and fueled by what God's word says, then we should be suspicious. So this letter applies to us as well. Perhaps this heresy of trying to look for, you know, some special will of God in order to be saved is not something we struggle with. But many of us do struggle, like I said, with thinking we have to discover some special revelation from God in order to to have a fulfilling life. If I could just find God's will for my life, then I would finally be happy. And all the while, the Lord says, I've already given you the full revelation of God in a book. If I had a nickel for every time I, had, I heard someone straining and worrying about what God wants them to do, what ministry should I be involved in, uh, where should I go to college, what should I do for a living, who should I marry, and on and on it goes. You know, when we read the Bible, it doesn't tell us directly what to do, but it's because the Bible isn't written so we can understand specifically what we're supposed to do every day. The Bible is written so as we go to it for wisdom regarding relationships, whether they be romantic or family or whatever, regarding a biblical work ethic, how to work hard for God, how to avoid laziness, regarding finances, God gives us the way in which we're to approach finances, thought life, what we're to do with free time, how we're to view rest, and the, the list goes on and on. And when we, when we uh, uh, grab that wisdom and apply it to our lives, and we apply it to our lives, then what happens is God's will becomes very clear because we look at our gifting, we look at our personality, we listen to wise counsel from, every, from other brothers and sisters, and you know what? What we should do becomes very clear. But God leaves it wide open. You can become a missionary. You can become a teacher. You can become a doctor. God's will is not a dot. God only wants me to do one thing, and I've got to find it, and I've got to have this, you know, wake up in the middle of the night, and he's going to give me a dream. And he might do that, but he doesn't do that for most of us. You just look at God's word, and as more and more wisdom comes, you'll know, hey, I want to be a doctor. This is the passion of my heart. This is the passion that God's given me. And if it's not sinful, God says, go for it. 
If this is what I've put on your heart, go for it. We rest in him and we listen to him, but we don't fulfill God's will on our own. And that's the good news. As we look at chapter one, I'm not going to reference these verses, but look at the verbiage that's used. He's the one who rescues us. He forgives us. He strengthens us. He fills us with understanding of his will. He qualifies us to be kingdom citizens forever. And that is why we can walk out his will, not because of our own strength, but because he's already done all those things for us. So this next section takes us into the meat of our talk, and I want to read that together with you. Um, So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. And I know that was a long introduction, but the talk is not that long, believe it or not. So these points, I'm going to get through them pretty quickly, because some of you are sitting there thinking, my goodness, that was like the longest introduction I've ever heard in my life. We're going to be here all night. No, you won't, unless God wills it. (laughs) All right. I just couldn't resist it. Colossians 1.15. It says, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were given, or I'm sorry, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out on the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. There are two big questions that are answered in this section, in these verses, uh, that I believe reveal God's will for our lives. And the questions are, does my life matter and why am I here? Does my life matter and why am I here? Our life matters because we're made through him. He's our maker. It says in verse 15, the son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Does this passage remind you of any reference from the Old Testament? What about the very first, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created all things through his son, Jesus. And it answers these two questions, does my life matter and why am I here? Probably the ones we think about more than any other. Don't we all want to know that through our daily grind, our life matters. That the daily grind matters. The kids, the school, the, you know, all the boring stuff that we do every day, that it matters to God. Does it have any meaning and purpose? Our lives do matter because Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. 
He made the heavens and the earth and were created by him and for him. So the same one who rose from the dead, who rose us from the dead, and who created it all lives in us. That's why our life matters. Think of the reality of Jesus creating it all. Our galaxy is just one of hundreds of billions of galaxies. In our little tiny neighborhood called the Milky Way, there are more stars than we can possibly see. Hundreds of billions of stars, the vast majority we can't see. The one who created all of that lives in us. We matter in this vast universe of billions of galaxies and even more stars. We matter amidst the seven plus billion people on this planet. We matter because Jesus created us. But he's more than our maker. He's also our sustainer. In Colossians 1 verse 17, it says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, this is really key because it means that we breathe, we walk, we think, we do our jobs, we interact with family and friends, all because he's empowering us to. He's not some divine clockmaker who wound everything up, let it go, and now he's off like having a sandwich. He is involved in every intimate detail of our life. That's why when Paul says pray without ceasing, what it means is we're to have an awareness of God's presence every moment of the day. He holds our bodies and our cosmos together. But Christ not only made us, he not only sustained us, he's also our peacemaker. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his shed blood on a cross. He lived a perfect life. And through his perfect sacrifice, we now have peace. We don't have to worry about, do I matter? You know, does my life have any meaning? Maybe if I just discover this secret will of God, then finally I'll be happy. It's like having the keys to a giant mansion and we decide we're just gonna, you know, play in the mud pit in the backyard instead. We have God's will. The linchpin of this entire letter, and I would say our entire lives, is Colossians chapter 1, verse 7. And I would encourage you. I think Jesus makes it painfully easy for us. There are two words in this that can absolutely, positively transform our lives. In Colossians 1, 27, it says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Here's the mystery, which is Christ in you. The maker of the heavens and the earth and all the vastness therein lives in you and me. This church moves forward because he's in us. You're going to get through the trial that you're going through because he's in you. When you feel insecure about the way you look or or what's in store for you tomorrow or next week or next year as you graduate from college or move into retirement or whatever, we don't have to give in to worry because he is in us. We are resurrected. He is in us. Again, the letter addresses this heresy that you have to have this special knowledge. You know, there was a mystery in the Old Covenant. Before Christ came, they had to rely on priests and prophets, and and God's revelation was limited, and it wasn't in people's hands. They couldn't just read it. And man, the priests and prophets were inconsistent and unreliable, to say the least. But now we have God's word. We have his revelation And the mystery, Paul's using a language they would understand, 
The mystery is not just for some of you. The mystery is very simple, folks. You know, Christ in us. That's the answer to everything. That's the answer to your broken marriage. That's the answer to your addictions. That's, your, that's the answer to my anxiety and my worry, Christ in us. The implications of him being our peacemaker, Christ in us, are, they are truly breathtaking. The first is we no longer have to labor and stress over what God's will for our lives is. You'll see through this series that that kind of stress thinking is a distraction and a cancer for the believer because it keeps us from loving our neighbor because we're so obsessed with, I just got to find God's will for my life. Well, what about those little kids in your family, in uh, your extended family or your immediate family? What about your coworkers who don't know and love Jesus? What about the fact that God's word is sitting right there on our, our desk, or our end table, our coffee table, and we can pick it up and read it and pray it? If your prayer life sucks right now, and I've been there many times, pray God's word. Pray it. You don't study God's word and then pray it later. It all goes together. It's like peanut butter and jelly. You got study on one side, you got prayer on the other, and you just smash them together. You're studying, you're praying, you're writing stuff down. But you'll see your life with God explode when you just simply pray his word. Otherwise, what do we do? We pray the same things over and over. I heard a kid one time, his dad was praying, and he started praying along with his dad at this church meeting. And he was praying with them. He was praying the exact same words. And you know what? That dad prayed the same prayer all the time, and that kid, little kid, had memorized it. Our prayer lives can get dull, can't they? Pray the same thing before a meal. Pray the same thing for the same people over and over and over again. That's the immature way. That's a childish faith. As we pray God's word, the spirit uses it like a sword to cut away those things that distract us and limit our walk with the Lord. This book is spoken to you so that you can speak it back to God and sing a new song to the Lord can't tell you how many times I've read through the letters of Paul and have prayed his prayers for the church. And the Lord leads me into all kinds of little rabbit trails about your life and about the life of the church and various ministries. And he'll do the same for you. The Psalms are a great prayer, a prayer book. Uh, a Christian psychologist said that every single emotion under the sun that's known to modern psychology is in the Psalms. It's a prayer book. Our job is just simply to be still, to read, and to listen. That's what resting in him is. We'll get into the specifics of of how to do that as we go through the series. Second thing, we no longer have to stress out about our value or our worth because Christ is in us. Christ is in us. Don't let yourself be defined by the career that you're engaged in, by your grades, by your appearance. All that is not from God. It's a distraction. It's in the way. You know what you tell great athletes? When they face opposition, what you try to, because I'm, I'm really into sports psychology and stuff like that, and I've read some books about it, and I'm an armchair expert. Not, not really, but that, that, is my, that is the best possible thing you could say about my knowledge of sports psychology. But I at least am an amateur wannabe. And great athletes, what you have to do when they face an obstacle is, is to see it as in the way. You have them write down, and I've done this, you have them write down what their goals are and where they envision themselves. 
And that is what drives them day in, day out. The injury is in the way. That opponent that they're afraid of, he or she, they are just in the way. You're not thinking about the opponent. You're not thinking about the obstacle. You're thinking about the goal, right? Your insecurities and your fears and mine, they are just simply in the way. All they are, it feels like a brick wall. All it is is a little piece of tissue paper. And we we proclaim Christ in us as a mantra, as a victory chant over those insecurities. I don't matter because I'm staying home with these kids and I'm not doing what I dreamed about doing when I was in college, Christ in us. Man, I'm not significant because I'm not even leading a home group and I've wanted to do that for so long, Christ in me. Man, it seems like I simply cannot resist the urge to look at this pornography. And it feels like it's going to bring ultimate satisfaction, Christ in me. I'm so worried and I'm so anxious about this or that situation. Nope, it feels like you can't resist because that's what the enemy wants you to feel. Christ in me. Christ is in me. I proclaim that. I pick up my sword and I pray it. I go to books like Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, the Psalms, and I pray it out loud. Folks, this is the answer. Now, this alone is not very effective unless the Spirit lives in us. If we know and love Jesus, this thing becomes a sword in our lives to cut away those things that separate us from Christ. Uh, The end. Praise the Lord. Um, We're going to take our offering at this time. And uh, also, remember, if you'd like to be baptized, there are no prerequisites. If you're a Christ follower, if you love him, we have clothes for you to change into. It's not uncommon at all for people to get baptized spontaneously. We have towels, all that good stuff. Come talk to me. Let me know what you're thinking, and you can get baptized tonight. It is a command, and it's also a joy to be baptized. It's a joy as we demonstrate what Christ has done in us through an outward and visible sign. Uh, I also want to encourage you all be up here with a few people at the end of the service. So after we finish in worship, I think Matt has his guitar string restrung, so we're happy about that. Uh, but when we're done worshiping together, there'll be a couple of us up here that would love to pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life could be something that you're excited about that you want to praise the Lord for. It could be a trial that you're going through. But whatever it is, uh, we'd love to pray with you. Or maybe you're unsure of where you're at in your walk with Christ. Maybe you're hearing all this stuff tonight and you don't know quite what's going on, but you know there's a stirring that God's doing something in you. You can come up and get prayer. Uh, Lord, we thank you tonight for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you that there's nothing new under the sun. It's always been popular to see uh, some type of, uh, uh, Lord, uh, information that we're missing some super Christian playbook that's only for the elite that we've missed out on to see that as the answer, if I could just find it. And there's plenty out there that have always been trying to sell that message since the very beginning of the church, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us to see it, you'd give us discernment to see it, and to embrace the simplicity of the gospel, Christ in us. We worship you, Lord. Please help us to walk out our resurrected lives as we look to you and your will, your living word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.